Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast, in which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today, I think we have an episode that everybody is going to enjoy. We are delighted to welcome Sarah Ferrison to the show. She describes herself as an accidentally successful author, but I think it is by examining what made you successful that uh, one might be able to find out what is the route to being successful. So, Sarah, we are delighted to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Oh, well, we are excited to listen to you today. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing well. Thanks, Roland. And thanks for coming on, Sarah. So, yeah, you know, these are often my favorite episodes when we get to talk to authors about you know, their path to success, because as we always say, there's not one road to success. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, they have books and courses or whatever about how to be a successful author and this and that. But, you know, obviously there are a ton of different factors that come into play and you can follow those roadmaps and do, and, you know, not have success and you can not follow them and have great success. And so it's often, I think, more useful to hear from actual authors that have gone through the process to hear what they did, what worked for them, because other authors can then, you know, pick and choose and say, okay, you know, my situation is similar to that author and, or that's, you know, what she did is very similar to something I can do or, or, oh, I can't go that route. That has nothing to do with me, you know? So I like to hear these kind of stories. So why don't you tell us a bit about um, yourself as an author, what you write and, uh, you know, tell us uh, how it all began. Sure. So, I have always liked writing, you know, I, I've probably got, I don't even know, three, four sort of partly written manuscripts sitting somewhere out in the cloud from over the years. Um, and I, I always wanted to be a published author, have a book out there. That there was definitely a life bucket list item. Um, and I actually was writing a nonfiction book with a friend for a while during COVID and we had a podcast and I sort of had some hopes for that, but it, it wasn't really my genre. And over the last few years, I've got very into reading historical mysteries. Um, I have a Kindle Unlimited subscription and it definitely lends itself to sort of binge reading authors who have series that, you know, go on for multiple books. And just before Christmas last year, I got laid off from my job. So I have an actual day job and I, I'm in software sales and I got laid off from it. And uh, you can only spend so many hours a day looking for a job, at least in my field. You know, there's sort of a, a limited number of jobs out there. And so I would, you know, got my resume together. I applied for jobs. I took the headhunters. And then I had all these hours in the day with nothing to do. And so I'm like, well, I had this idea for a historical mystery rolling around in my head for a while, I'll just start writing it and I'll see where I go. And by the time mid-March came around and I had a job offer and was about to start a job, I'd written a book. Um, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this? I, you know, I have this new big job. I don't have time to start trying to find an agent. And honestly, I didn't really have the patience or the inclination to go through that whole process. Um, and so I read up a little bit about Amazon publishing. I honestly, and this is, you know, when we talk about things I quickly learned, I created my own cover because I had zero expectations, absolutely none. Um, 
I edited it myself, something else I wouldn't do again, and I just put it up on Amazon. And I was sort of blown away by how successful it was. Uh, and I really wasn't sure I'd sell one book, and I sold a lot more than one book. Um, and I suddenly realized that maybe this was something I was going to do again. I was getting great reviews. People were sending me lovely emails. I had various friends and family who were now hounding me saying, when's book two coming? When's book two coming? I'm like, oh, my God, created a monster here in, in my friends and family. And so I wrote book two, and I'm now finishing up book four. Wow. So book That's four, and, and you started this in 2020 with the pandemic. Oh, no, no. I started this in January of this year. And you have four wow. books since January of this year. And a full-time job. Gosh, you have been a busy bee, as my mother would say. I, I have been. I have been. Yes. That's amazing. So what do you so once that first book came out, did you do any um marketing or promotion? How did people discover it? Do you, think? you know, the only thing I did originally, which I in hindsight was a smart thing to do, was I made it free for a week. Uh, and so it got a lot of downloads and that got me some reviews. And, and of course, the great thing about a series is, assuming people like it, once they read one, they're inclined to carry on reading. So by the time I put book two out there for pre-orders, I got a decent number of pre-orders um, because I'd already built up a bit of a readership through giving away for free for a week. Um, and, you know, over time, over the year, I've certainly, I think I have a lot more to learn about Facebook marketing and Amazon marketing, and and, and that is not an easy topic. Um, but I certainly got better at that. And over time, I do some of that. I, I do things like this. I've had other interviews. I will advertise in, you know, some sort of niche book sites and newsletters. So I do some marketing. I mean, I, I, I will say, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys hear this a lot. The writing the book isn't really the hard bit. It's everything else that is incredibly time consuming and doesn't necessarily speak to my to my strengths or interests. But if you're going to be an independently published author, to some extent, you're going to do some of those things. I think that's fair enough. I mean, that that's very true. We're almost publishing companies in ourselves. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a publishing company who contracts with people to because I, I now have a designer, a lovely designer who does my covers and I have an editor. And so, you know, I contract with people for the parts of this I can't do or shouldn't do um, or just don't have the time to do. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I have an audio book for book one and I'm doing for one for book two now. And I hired an audio book narrator. And uh, Roland, you, you, you will maybe um, sympathize with various people said, well, you have this English accent. You should read it. I'm like, I don't have time to read to narrate my audiobook you know i've got a job i'm writing books i'm self-publishing this thing i'd rather pay someone else to narrate this so you know i think i think people don't appreciate you know if you're a full-length book it's maybe 10 hours of audio oh, yeah. and think to read 10 hours of audio that's pretty uh, an effort anyway and then you think of you know the the additional things of editing it and stuff like that so i can 100 exactly. percent understand I, I don't and I, you know i'm not a trained actress i mean i don't have time to yeah I'm, I'm sure i would need to edit far more than my narrator who is a trained actress needs to edit it's like i don't have time for that so yes i i feel like i am a publishing company who outsources 
bits of this. And I think a lot of people, certainly I had no idea that that was the case. Um, and I think a lot of people who go into self-publishing maybe don't realize just how much work the other non-writing things are. Yeah. And a lot of authors really don't have a lot of interest in yeah. all that stuff, right? They became authors to write, not to be a marketer, a publisher, a, you know, a cover designer, an editor. I mean, and like you said, you shouldn't do all of those things anyways. If your your niche, if your skill set isn't cover design, then you're hurting your book more than helping it by saving yourself a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks by trying to do your own cover. It's exactly. much better to hire an, uh, you know, somebody who specializes in that, give your book the best chance of success. Um, and like you said, editing too, even, even editors hire editors to write, you know, to edit their own book. You, you never should self edit because you read kind of what you think you wrote. Exactly. Not, not exactly. what's actually on No, no, no. I, and I have learned that. And, you know, Grammarly can only take you so far. It's a great tool. Thank heavens for it. But, you know, I, I will say, I mean, because I didn't have the first book edited professionally, between people I know and just, you know, people who have written to me say, hey, you know, I found some typos in it. I mean, it's been edited slowly over time. I wouldn't say there's nothing in there, but I mean, it certainly had quite a going over. Thank heavens, you know, Amazon lets you constantly publish. But the the newer books where I've actually hired a, a, an editor who I love. I'm not saying no one ever finds anything because I think people probably find, you know everything. Ha I found a typo in the New York Times the other day, but it, it has been a far easier, smoother, less iterative process to to you know uh, make sure those books are as good as they can be. Absolutely. So. So when you published book one, then you you did no advertising or marketing. You just put it for free and for the ten days. So when that uh, when that was on free, I assume you had hundreds or thousands of yeah. downloads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you flipped it over, when it stopped being free, um, the sales just continued from there. Yeah, I mean, obviously not at that level, but yeah. I, one of the other things that again was absolute luck. I, I wrote historical mysteries because I like reading historical mysteries. I didn't realize until I downloaded a tool called Publisher Rocket and started sort of digging into categories that that is one of the few really growing categories on Amazon. Um, you know, romance being the top, but historical mysteries is, is a very growing category. Um, and so I had, I had, by chance, by luck, chosen to write in a category that is um very popular and just as i use my kindle unlimited subscription and just sort of once i started a series kept going i think a lot of people do that particularly in this genre um you know romance doesn't necessarily lend itself to a series how many times can the same person fall in love over and over again but yeah. but but historical mystery you know you can just People keep on dying, and you keep on solving it. Um, so, so, <laughs> yeah. so I think I think I I lucked out in that. Uh, I, I not I don't want to do false modesty here. I think I've written a good book. I think I'm a good writer. Um, and you know, there's no category, no marketing is going to save a bad book. But I think having written a good book and finally got a nice cover, um, I was in a good category. And because I had had it free for about 
sorry, for a period of time, I had got a bunch of reviews, which obviously help. And then, you know, there's the whole Amazon um, algorithm, which has who knows how exactly that works, but there's a certain self, you know, success breeds success on Amazon. So if if you get a lot of pre-orders, suddenly I got a lot of pre-orders, relatively speaking, a lot of pre-orders for book two, that immediately put book two um, quite high in the rankings the day it dropped, you know, which then, uh, so the whole thing is sort of, um, there's definitely some some art to it and maybe some science to it. But I think all these things together helped give me some momentum and a an audience waiting for future books. I mean, I will say, so, you know, book four is now on, on pre-order. Um, every book has had significantly more pre-orders than the book before. That's a, well, that's an encouraging sign, isn't it? Yeah. So book three had more than double the pre-orders that book two had. And book two, book four, almost two months away from being published, has as many pre-orders as book three had. So, you know, th- there's a there's a nice progression here that sort of speaks to a growing audience. Yeah, I, absolutely. If you have a series that people like, that's one of the most lucrative ways to have a, you know, a career because they, you have them all, especially if they're standalone and mysteries most likely are, right? People could start on book two, they can start on book three. Absolutely. And the advantage of that is you've now, with a four book series, you now have four entry points where you could capture a new reader. And then that reader, if they enjoy it, can go and read four different books right whereas you know in a series that is is not standalone you know people always have to start on book one so it's always a matter of how yeah. do you keep finding new people to read book one and then hopefully follow on so yeah, yeah i think um you know you did what you planned or not you did you did it right accidentally <laughs> successful i'm telling accidentally you successful um and then i guess is your um you'd mentioned uh you know you could keep following falling into to more mystery so i assume well especially because of the series it's one sort of sherlock holmesian you know one one sort of investigator one sort of person who's solving these mysteries in each book and that carries forward well so so when i started writing my book book one i thought about what i most liked in some of the books I read and what I least liked in some of the books I read. And then I tried to write the perfect book for me because at the time I had no other audience but me. So I'm like, what book would I like to write and then to read? And what I enjoy are books that where there is a mystery, but there is a, a another storyline going underneath where there is character growth and that there is sort of an ongoing plot where then there's a mystery per book. That is what I enjoy. And that's what a lot of people write. I know. Um, I like Kathy Reich's with the Bones books. You know, you've got each one is a separate mystery, except you've got the ongoing relationship between her and Booth. Yeah, exactly. So I have a hero and a heroine, and there is a sort of a burgeoning love story that goes underneath all this and a ecosystem of people that start to be brought into their investigations and the i mean i i i will say you know it's always nice when people say i enjoyed the plot i didn't see that coming you know it was a good mystery 
But what I like more is when people say, I love the relationships between these people and how they're, you know, getting to know each other and growing as characters. And, you know, because when I read these books, that's what I most appreciate. I mean, you know, I, I won't name names, but there, there's a couple of authors that I read where, honestly, I think the plots are getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And I can imagine by the time you get to book 30, maybe I won't have a as many good ideas either. But what keeps me reading is the characters are great. The relationships between the characters are great. And so it's not the greatest mystery in the world, but I'd rather read a book with a not great mystery, but wonderful characters than the other way around. I think that's, that's a good way of looking at it. And people remember characters that, you know, that's that's really what resonate with exactly. readers is those strong characters. Exactly. So they're not even... Uh, investigators, they're just people that sort of happened to... Well, uh... <laughs> so, so so my books are set in Victorian London in 1897. And uh, my, my heroine is uh, the recently widowed um, Countess of Pembroke, Tabitha. And the new Earl is her deceased husband's cousin, who she didn't know before, who was a bit of a black sheep of the family and had been cast out by his father and had been making his way in life as a thief catcher in Whitechapel, which is a pretty, well, at least the, now it's a very fancy area of London. Yeah. <laughs> it's now, changed now, a lot. Who, now who could afford Renton Whitechapel? But back then <laughs> it was, you know, Whitechapel is where the, the, the Yorkshire, not the Yorkshire, but the, 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 um, the Ripper murders took place in London in the, 1880s um you know it was a very poor very crime ridden area so he had been working this very um you know down at hill job and suddenly is the earl but some characters from his past try to draw him back into an investigation even though he plan is that now he's the earl he won't be doing this anymore and tabitha the Countess gets drawn in and then other people in their lives get drawn in. And so they are, at least in the beginning, um, unwilling investigators who are forced to do this, but then over time become a little bit more willing about doing this. Yeah, that's a that's another good trope, I think, you know, the unwilling yes. hero. The unwilling um, hero. Yeah. So uh, do you do a lot of uh, research, uh, you know, for... I guess with historical stuff, I always imagine that you want to get as much right as you can. Obviously, you're changing facts because you're putting in a story into that time that didn't exist. And, and sometimes you're uh, interacting with, with characters that uh, did exist in the time. But to the, to the degree that you can, I imagine you want to have all, the, all your historical facts in place. Absolutely. And, and you know, Google is a wonderful thing. But, you know, one of the things that we've been doing recently, um, so my daughter, who lives in London, um, helps me out with social media and, and research and various things like that. And um, for book three and for book four, we went on, so book three is set in Scotland, and we went on a trip to Edinburgh and did some research and went to some museums and um, you know, saw some places that I was then able to describe because I'd really been there. 
Um, book four is set in Brighton, and we had a wonderful weekend in Brighton. Um, my friend who lives in Brighton is um, a big fan of the series, and she was very excited when she heard we were coming. And she did all this research about all these different places we should go and visit. And so that was a lot of fun to um, to have tea in the hotel that the characters stay in and to, you know, walk up to the bandstand that, you know, one of the scenes takes place in. So, so you know, I do try and to do some of that where I can. Uh, we did a nice little trip to the Victorian Albert Museum, which has some wonderful paraphernalia of the era, you know, the, the, the cutlery they used and the clothes they wore. And, and so I, I do try to, within the bounds of the fact that, you know, this is fiction and, and, and not a history book, be true to the period as much as I can be. Yeah, that's that I think helps a lot as well, right? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because, you know, we often talk about um, the rate of reviews that you get organically. For, for most authors, it's historically pretty low. Um, and you were mentioning how you put the book on for free for a week and you got a lot of reviews. So to put that in perspective, what are, I, I don't know if you know offhand, like, you know, full numbers, but maybe you can give us sort of a, of an idea or a ratio or whatever of like how many free copies you, um, you moved and versus how many you know, reviews you got out of that, even roughly. I, I, yeah. I, I honestly don't remember because it was a few books and a bunch of time ago, but it was enough, and certainly, you know, I mean, as you know, with Amazon, people can often give a rate or often give a rating without a review. So I quickly got a right. good rating with enough people doing it that then you compounded that with the fact that some people had actually written a review. It, you know, there was something there for for Amazon to react to and for people to see. So I, I honestly don't remember what it was, but it but it was decent. I mean, yeah. more anything more than zero would have been more than I expected. So it was decent. Right. No, I, I think, you know, because part of the problem is, you know, with their ranking um, system, free has a different rank than than paid. So sometimes when you um, put a book for free, it does really well and people download it and goes to the top of the free ranking. But then as soon as it flips back over to pay, Absolutely. that ranking doesn't yeah. stay. Right. And I didn't um, get the high rankings immediately. Um, right. You know, that definitely came over time. But I got reviews pretty quickly from the right. free. And that then when people started actually buying it sort of was positive reinforcement. It's, that's very interesting. I mean, I think one of the things that people overlook is you probably have to have a really strong concept and hook for your book for that to be oh, successful. I, I, look, I, I, I think that if there was ever an area where there's no quick way to success it is writing books um you know i know people are you know there's all this can ai do it and whatever i mean ai can write a book can ai write a best-selling book uh, no not now at least um you know there is something very human about writing a good story not just a story but a good story um and you know i i think that uh, again totally accidentally by writing for myself it turns out there's a lot of people who like what I like out there and so I seem to have by a wonderful bit of luck written for a lot of other people as well I love that absolutely 
And so do you have any plans or is it even something you're interested in to, you know, quit your day job and write full time? Yeah, well, you know, I'm of a certain age. And so while I actually love my day job, um, I'm not going to do it forever. And, you know, I, I work in an industry that is pretty volatile. I mean, I lost a job last year. I have decided, A, if for some reason this job didn't work out, this would be the last job I would get. I would not go back on the marketplace. And I should say, I've got a pretty successful career. Um, but I've also decided that if, as I hope, this job keeps going for some number of years, um, this is sort of the retirement plan in not that many years is, you know, four years, five years, whatever it is, that that this is what I will then do once I'm once I'm no longer working. So one way or another, this will be the last job I ever have. That's great. Yeah. I love it when, you know, you have that option when authors are doing lucky. well enough to to do that if they decide to, right? It's not yeah. forever. No, I am very, very lucky. And also, I mean, I do want to I hope this continues. I hope the books continue to do well. But you know, it, it hasn't even been a full year. It is possible this is all going to disappear, and I would be foolish to to quit a very you know successful career yet. But even a few years' time, this is still doing well. Yeah, you know, I start to hit my late fifties, early sixties. I don't need to be working forever. This is the plan. It's a very good plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I always say: you should burn the boats. When you well, land on the beach, you burn the boats, and then right. uh, then you can't help but, but press forward. Well, that's true. That's true. That, that is one way of looking at it. <laughs> well, you know, listen, it's good to have options, right? So, yes. You know. um, so, you know, what do you – do you have some tips for other authors that are sort of just getting started on, you know, maybe lessons learned and uh, how they can sort of, you know – so some of the tips that you think that yeah. might help someone else have yeah, some absolutely. success. Oh, as I say, um, and, and you had reiterated, you know, finding someone. I have a wonderful freelance designer who is extremely reasonably priced and does a lovely job with my book covers. And I should have done that from day one. And, you know, I see a lot of people using Canva, trying to do their own book covers. And look, I mean, so, there are lots of people who have lots more design talent than I have. but um, I, I would say it was absolutely worth it to get a good cover. Uh, the editor was worth it. I mean, that is a more expensive proposition, and I realize it's not for everyone. Uh, particularly, you know, would I, if I went back, rolled the clock back to March of this year, not knowing that the book was going to do well, would I have dropped that amount of money on an editor? Absolutely not. I, I wouldn't have. So I understand people's yeah. reticence to do that because any decent editor is not cheap. I mean, I will say, I, I think he's reasonable, but he's not cheap. So, you know, if, if this is an entirely speculative thing for someone, I can see why they might balk at that, but I will say it was definitely worth it. Um, understanding how Amazon works to some extent around the categories and keywords. That's something I'm still learning, but I'm getting better at. Uh, I wish I'd learned some of that earlier. And, uh, you know, giving it away free for a week, at least for me, really did help. And that's an option that Amazon gives you when you 
launch it and I'm glad I did it. I think I think again, I I stumbled blindly into accidentally doing something that was a smart thing. Yeah. And I mean it worked out because like I said, you don't always get a lot of reviews from free uh, I'm books. sure it could be that um, certain genres maybe are are better than others. If historical mysteries is a growing genre, you know, could be that the people that are reading it are are sort of more excited. It's like there's maybe there's less books in there, and so they're they're more willing to you know spend some time giving recommendations to their friends. Absolutely, I, I will <laughs> say some, something that I've realized over time, which again I, I don't think I realized back then was I now have an extremely good sense who my audience is. I mean, a really good sense. You know, I, I know my age, my, my audience is women, that may not be terribly surprising, of my age and up, um, far more in the US than the UK. I mean, the US is my biggest market. I guess Brits love all things, uh, sorry, Americans love all things British. Maybe Brits like things American, I don't know. I mean, Britain is definitely, the UK is definitely my second audience but the us which of course is a huge audience so one of the things i try to do in everything in my marketing in in various choices that i make is to be cognizant of who my audience is um because they are a certain type of person looking for a certain type of thing and at the end of the day and and maybe you know this is what i say to a lot of people because i have friends who you know want to be writers or are writers but want to be published and, and they ask me i said look I, again, I didn't make this decision in the beginning, but if I had, I would have made the same one, which is, do you want to write to win a Pulitzer or whatever, yeah, you know, book a prize? Or do you want to write to make money and be a successful writer? And sometimes for some people, those are the same thing. But for a lot of writers, it's not the same thing. I mean, you know, if you want to write what you want to write and you don't care what anyone else thinks of it because you have this story burning itself inside of you, write it. Write it, see if someone will publish it. If they don't, self-publish it and see if someone will buy it. But if what you want to do is to find an audience and make a living of writing to that, um, knowing your audience, knowing your genre and being mindful of what people are looking for from that genre, from that audience category, I think is very important. Uh, you know, I couldn't agree more. That is one of the uh, first questions that I ask whenever somebody contacts me uh, to do a consult call to to help them, to coach them. That's one of the first questions I ask is, you know, why why are you writing? Is it because you have a story to tell and you just don't care about the commercial success you just want to tell stories that's perfectly fine or is it that you want to make as much money as possible that's also fine two completely different paths both valid but they require different advice you know 100 percent different advice different mindset about writing different mindset about everything and i think you know a lot of people naively that i'm I don't discount myself out of that. Think in the beginning, you can kind of maybe be both. And I, I'm not, I think it is a very small group of people who manage to be both. You know, you're either sort of a populist writer giving the people what they want or you're Ernest Hemingway. And if Ernest Hemingway wrote today, he probably wouldn't have been very successful. Well, he could self-publish at least. So. He could self-publish. <laughs> there you go. Ernest Hemingway self-publishing. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Did you ever uh, use beta readers? Um, it, it's funny. I, I haven't or I hadn't. Um, and then there was one lovely woman who, for books one and two, had sent me um, some typos she found. And she, she organized them in a particularly helpful way, which is not always the case. And she was just very sweet. And we were sort of chatting back and forth. And I said to her, look, I'm really grateful that you've done this. Um, given that you seem to be prepared to do this, would you be prepared to do this before the book is published and actually give me some feedback on it? And she said she was happy to. Um, so after book three went through the editor, I sent it to her and, and she gave me some feedback and we're going to do it again. So that's one beta reader, but um, it, it's very helpful. Yeah, I was just wondering because, you know, when you have such a successful, when you hit the markets so successfully as you have from the get-go, uh, a lot of the times, you know, one of the ways to sort of help that process along is get some beta readers that read that genre so that they can give you the feedback, especially if you haven't, yeah. you know, spent a lot yeah. of time writing in that genre before. Yeah, yeah. I, as I say, I, 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 that is not something where I would say I did what I would suggest everyone else do. Um, I, I seem to have lucked out in, you know, finding my sweet spot. And, and to some extent, uh, you know, I don't want to mess with success. I don't want too many voices telling me I don't want this or I don't want that. You know, I, I want to make sure that that it's structurally sound and that a couple of people who've read it said, yeah, that makes sense. I like that story. Um, and then just sort of, to some extent, go with what worked before which is my gut which is this is a good story that people want to read and at least so far that's worked out well for me but i do think that's probably luck more than anything uh, well oh, luck and good your, decent writing you're on mute there. yeah I'm luck and having a good idea for a story it's the concept that's so important yes absolutely 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 um did you did you write your own blurb or did you have anyone help you with that I, I wrote my own blurb. Um, it's funny, I just changed it slightly today. Um, I, I would say, while I consider myself, you know, a good writer, I, I'm not a particularly good um, copywriter. And I'm constantly trying to tweak my marketing and, and things like that, because I'm not sure I'm as good at writing something in 150 characters or so as I am at writing it in 80,000 words. And and so uh, I may at some point have to sort of uh, get someone to help me with that as well. But but yeah, I, I would say, again, just because you can write a book doesn't mean you can write copy and they are definitely different things. Well, it's not a tweet. You have more than 140 characters. Yeah, well, but, you know, sort of, <laughs> right, whether it's, I, I, I have the same challenges with the blurb and with marketing. Right, right, right. You know, and that's, Amazon that's, ads as like 150 characters or something. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's very, very pithy. common. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it is. It's, catchy. A, it's a different skill set altogether. Yes, very different skill set. And, and I, I definitely recognize that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're trying to distill something that you spent probably months writing into a, par a couple paragraphs. Yeah. And as the writer, sometimes you're a little too close to it. What I find a lot of the times is the writers, when they write their blurbs, often include a lot of unnecessary information. Yes. 
right? And you want to distill it down into sort of like that hook, that elevator pitch that is going to grab people, not every sort of thing yes. that happened yeah. in the book. Yeah. Now, you want to whet their appetite. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Uh, Roland's the expert at that. He, you know, <laughs> that's well, I mean, I've, wor- I've worked as a commercial copywriter for twenty years, so it's a, you do learn. I mean, it is a a particular skill that is very, very much, different to, to writing. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and then you were you found a cover designer and has the same designer done all of your yes. books? Yes, yeah. she does the books. She does the you know the audio books. Um, and, and what she's very good at is, you know, when I did my first design, which was really awful, but I liked my concept. I just wasn't any good at executing it. And so I told her what my concept was, and she executed it a thousand times better than I did, a million times better than I did. So now what I do is I say to her, okay, you know, this book is set in Brighton. I said to her for book four, this book set in Brighton. I want to use the Royal Pavilion as the backdrop. Um, which is a very iconic building in, in Brighton, if you don't know, Craig. And, um, you know, I send her photos of the Royal Pavilion. I'm like, this is what I want the background to be. And then she came back and we talked about color schemes. And so it's become a, a good collaboration. Right. Yeah, that is, um, you know, when you find an, uh, an uh, artist, or, yeah, actually it's for anything, you know, you find a cover designer that, that works well with you, you find an editor that works well yes. with you, and a blurb writer that works, you know, stick with them because a- absolutely. they're it not took me, all the same. No, I took me, uh, my, my first efforts with an editor were awful and mostly a waste of money and I learned a lot of lessons. And so the second editor I found, um, I love him. Um, and he is, he's just easy to work with and does a great job and is very just, you know, he seems to be a nice person to collaborate with. And so now I've got him. It's like, now I've got my audiobook narrator. I found the right people. Once you find the right people, don't let them go. Absolutely. Um, so what are you, have you, okay. So have you in book one, uh, maybe you did this and hopefully not, if you didn't, you, you have since then, uh, did you start creating a mailing list and so that you can grow your, your own audience and be able to contact them and let them know every time there's a new book or, or, uh, you know, you have some kind of other thing going on and what sort of, um, how is that, how has that worked for you? So uh, I didn't do it for book one, and um, but I, you know, I, I realized I needed to do it. I mean, I will say it, it is, it is good. I've got a decent number of names on it. It's definitely one of the areas I'm more challenged at. How do you get people, not just names on it, but people who actually want to hear from you? Um, you know, it's probably not hard to buy a list of names. It's hard to buy a list of names of people who might actually be interested in hearing from you on a regular basis. But now I do that. Um, I, I decided to spring for, um, you know, uh, I use software called MailChimp, which allows me to get people to sign up for my web page and I can automate emails through it and I can um, write the newsletters and have various automations. And actually, I like that. It works well. And, and so, yeah, so I, I now send a regular newsletter out. It, I would say that is definitely a work in progress in terms of me trying to find out 
what that audience wants to hear and, and how I can keep them engaged. But I do do it. And I would suggest people do it. And, and obviously, I you know, I have a Facebook page. I have a Twitter handle. I have an Instagram page. I even, thanks to my daughter, have a TikTok page. Um, Ooh, TikTok. Wow. Uh, well, the way of the yeah. future. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, I've been banned. I'm not allowed to post. I'm not allowed to make my own videos and I'm not allowed to post anything to Facebook. Everything has to go through my daughter. She is very bossy. And <laughs> um, she has banned me from from I, I, she said, I don't know what, what I don't know what the young people want, which is she's probably right. And uh, I need to everything needs to go through her. So I'm very lucky that I have her helping me. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like you've you're actually you've haven't even scratched the surface of success because you talk about, you know, you've got a subscriber list. but You're not sure. I mean, to many authors have built an entire career off their subscriber list uh, alone. So to have all the success you've built up already and have uh, an as yet unrealized potential with your subscriber list is kind of exciting. It is exciting. It is very exciting. Um, you know, it. it Sorry, my husband said to me the other day, um, how many more of these books are you going to keep writing? I said, well, I mean, it's a decent question. I guess I'll keep writing them for as long as I enjoy writing them. And more to the point, people seem to enjoy reading them and are buying them. And so I don't know how long that is. Um, but it is exciting to think about where I might take these characters, where I might take the books and, and, you know, I mean, the audio book is a relatively new thing for me. And, you know, that's been an exciting way to branch out into a different kind of audience. Uh, so, yeah, it is all very exciting. I, I hope there is a lot of future growth ahead of me. Well, so well, do it we. It sounds like there will be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how many people are on that list, on your mailing list now? I, I've got uh, just under 100 now, which is not very much. Um, but as I say, I haven't been doing it very long. But, you know, I... I, I that is definitely an area I want to understand more. Um, how do people, you know, I, I do various things on social media to drive people to it. There is a link. Oh, something that I do have started doing, which has been very helpful, is that I've started writing short stories that go to people on the, my mailing list. And every time I have a new short story, I post on Twitter, if you're interested in reading short story, you know, sign up for my mailing list. And that's what it says on the website is for, you know, some free short stories. So I found that that is both that gives back something to my readers to say, you know, you get something special that no one else gets. But it also hopefully gives people an incentive to sign up. So that's something I'm continuing to do more of. Absolutely. And I think it, I've always said that, you know, anybody has the potential to be a successful writer if they learn the craft of writing, which is easier said than done, and then just follow the process of successful self-publishing. I mean, it seems like there are there are different avenues to approach, but it is just a process, and you seem to have stumbled across that, but are building on stumbled. it as you go forward. Stumbled, definitely stumbled, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say we are approaching the top of the the hour, so this has been a wonderful and fascinating conversation. Before we wrap up, Craig, do you have any final thoughts or anything like that? Uh, listen, I think that. You know, sir, you've done incredibly well for somebody who did it by accident. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it speaks a lot to the quality of the book. If the if the book wasn't a well written book, I am confident in saying you would not have had this kind of success. But at the same time, there are lots of people that write really good books that 
that just never get discovered. So, you know, you, you definitely hit upon some of the right things to do. You kind of need both these days, you, you know, cause the marketplace, Amazon marketplace everywhere. It's so, there's so much content out there that yeah. you can get lost in a sea of other uh, books. So even if you have, you know, there could be some amazing novels out there that nobody's ever discovered really because they just fail at the marketing side of it. So um, it's great that this all worked out for you. So, uh, you know, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. I think that this really will give uh, other art authors um, some inspiration, motivation oh, to I hope so. continue on, right? Something I should add is that I don't write under my uh, name. I write under the name Sarah F. Noel. So if anyone is looking for the books, it's Sarah F. Noel. Well, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap up, where can everybody find you, Sarah? Right. You can find them. It is the Tabitha and Wolf mystery series. Uh, book one is A Proud Woman, and I write as Sarah F. Noel. Well, we will pop a link down below in the description. Wonderful. Uh, so everyone can find your work. And thank you so much for sharing everything. It's I think pleasure. I think people will find this a really valuable episode. People really like the ones where they're writers who've achieved a certain level of success that many other writers aspire to and kind of like gives them the inspiration to get there. So thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. And if you have appreciated what Sarah has to say, make sure you drop down and leave a comment in the comment section down below. While you're down there, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. There's the like button. It's a little bell notification so you get to, to learn about every single episode of Fully Booked when they drop. And of course, we'll be back next week with another episode. So until then, cheerio.